Hello, and welcome to the Core Intentions Podcast. I'm your host, Asia Johnson, along with my co-host and father, Sydney Johnson. We are thrilled that you chose to join us today. In this podcast, we create space for socially conscious conversations around the impact of big and small business while showcasing the stories of the people behind them, starting at the core of their why. We'll dive into sustainability, technology, supply chain innovation, and inclusion, equity, and diversity. We believe that good business and lasting impact starts with intention, and we are excited to go down the journey of discovery with you. So let's get into it. I feel like today, in today's day and age, you can pretty much do anything. Everyone is a Renaissance woman or a Renaissance man. As you know, there's not a lot of female leaders in the space, female CEOs mm-hmm. in the space. So I, I, I just wanted to kind of be that voice or mm-hmm. be part of the solution. If I can teach and I can train, um, they will not only be an asset to me later on, but maybe an asset to someone else. And at the end of the day, all that I care about is training the next generation of hopefully female leaders to be successful at whatever they end up doing. That yearn to teach and that yearn to um, make an impact through the form of knowledge transfer is is something that you know I'm hoping that I'm doing today and hope to continue doing. So welcome to the Core Intentions podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Asia Johnson, along with my father here, Sydney Johnson. How are you doing today, Dan? doing pretty good Asia looking forward to our conversation with Ruby today awesome well thank you so much for being here super super excited to have Ruby on our podcast today it's a very special moment Um, Ruby is a very special and dear friend of mine that I've known for years I'm super proud of her journey and super excited to have her on our podcast today to share a bit about her journey so Ruby Conda who is the CEO of CloudX the ex-director of product and AI at Salesforce, the ex-director of engineering at DoorDash, a former NASA engineer, inventor, um, and uh, Ruby also has a PhD in biomedical engineering. So a true force, and I'm super excited to have Ruby here today. So welcome to the Core Intentions podcast, Ruby. How are you doing? Thank you so much. It's so great to be here and so great to be here with you, Asia, knowing you for so long and with your dad. It's just such a beautiful um, project that you guys have put together. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time. Super excited to get into all the things today. But first, before we go into all the details, I would love for you to just share a little bit about who you are and a bit about your journey with our audience. Sure. Yeah. So I'm Ruby. Um, I have a pretty, I would say, um, bifurcating background and where I've taken lots of different um, paths and directions, but it's led me to tech eventually um, to kind of go back. I am a first generation immigrant. I was born in India, 
um, came here when I was about four. My parents took a huge leap of faith and, you know, they left their stability and their community from India, came here to start afresh. And they only had $500 in their pocket and, you know, made the best that they could for their two daughters, um, raised us to be extremely strong, independent women who, you know, my dad always said that you could always do anything that you wanted and um, always kind of encouraged us to be as inventive as possible, um, play around with as many things as possible and learn as much as possible. And so that's kind of where we get our foundation from. Um, but yeah, so, you know, went into, um, wanted to do the medical route, become a doctor. And then I had my first experience in the ER and, um, you know, saw a lot of blood and <laughs> decided that was not for me. <laughs> I'm more of a mechanical person and I like things that don't bleed. So I uh, <laughs> went to the engineering route and um, had a little bit of an engineering spark in high school. Um, I went to the Intel International Science and Engineering Fair with a project that I had on hybrid cars and really loved that basement project that I had with my dad and wanted to explore the engineering route further. So um, did my grad school in engineering and biomedical engineering specifically, which is all about the human machine interface and about how humans interact with technology um, and how technology interacts with humans conversely as well. And that experience led me to um, get my first job out of grad school at NASA, um, working at Johnson Space Center in Houston, which is where I met Asia. And um, at NASA, my entire focus was on spacesuit engineering, which is really the perfect marriage of biomedical engineering because it's all about how the spacesuit interacts with the human body and about how we can survive on a different planet or you know, the moon with um, purely technology to power us and to keep us physiologically sound. So that was a really great experience. Um, and I learned a lot there about what the boundaries of technology can be and the boundaries of humans can be physiologically. So it was a really, really great learning experience. Um, but government overall is a little bit slow. So, you know, I kind of wanted a little bit faster paced environment and decided to switch careers entirely into tech, particularly software engineering, and got my first job at a startup in San Francisco, which was not very well known back then, DoorDash, um, a food delivery company that is a giant now, but back in the day, it was one of the smaller players. And um, I worked primarily on the support team there, building applications for customers to be able to call into support, chat into support, email into support. So built all those channels and those pathways and the system that houses all of the support requests from customers. And then I got a job at Salesforce, which is a global customer relationship software management company. Um, and so I worked on the AI product there of how we can start to automate some of those repetitive tasks that human agents have to go through so that they don't feel like their day is mundane. Um, loved my time there, but decided to eventually leave because I wanted to start my own company and start my own thing. And, you know, our focus is twofold. Um, we focus primarily on helping a lot of companies um, become better at serving customers and become better at customer relationship management. We have clients like Twitter, Belkin, Core Health and Fitness, Ford Motors, FanDuel. 
Um, so we kind of grew very quickly and very rapidly with some really great brands and, and logos. And um, we also focus at the same time on building applications as well. So we build products as well that can enhance a customer relationship management software. So a lot of companies today use Salesforce as their CRM. And so we build apps for the Salesforce app store to um, extend the capability of the CRM platform because we notice gaps after implementing the CRM for so many different companies, we noticed there's, there's lots of gaps. And so we fulfill those with a lot of product development that we do in-house as well. So that's a little bit about me. And yeah, it's it's been a little bit of a wild journey, but you know, it's I feel like today, in today's day and age, you can pretty much do anything. Everyone is a Renaissance woman or a Renaissance man. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, what an incredible journey. Um, something that stood out to me um, and something I I recognized in you from the, the first moment and the day that I met you was just how um, you're, you're really centered. And I think that you're really people driven. You know, you're a relationship builder and that's very consistent across your journey, right? You were you thought about how you can make the human experience better um, with the products you're building and the companies that you went to go work for. Now the company that you're building yourself, it's it's centered around that human experience and that customer experience, which is just incredible. So I'm curious to know a little bit more about your um, thoughts around the um, the interaction of, of technology with, with society. Um, what do you think technology's role is in society? I would love to get your thoughts there. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, and, you know, there's, there's so many things that you can say about what technology or how technology plays on society and how society plays on technology. But really, mm -hmm. I think that the, that technology in general is really here to challenge humans. Mm -hmm. It's to challenge us to be better right? And where we can use technology to go to Mars, we can use technology to go to the moon, we can use technology to, to predict climate change, we can use technology to help tr uh, trace human transmission of diseases like COVID-19. Um, but at the same time, technology, particularly AI, when, you know, we build AI like Watson or the Facebook AI algorithm that's trying to predict and write articles, you know, we actually end up seeing a, a mirror of human society. We see that the AI actually ends up, you know, saying things that may be racist. And we see that as an opportunity for us to look at why AI is potentially mirroring our bad habits and mm -hmm. how we can actually improve humanity and society as well. So I really see it as a way of challenging us as a whole of how to be better, but also how to um, achieve, you know, things that people thought were almost impossible back in 1920s. If, if you told someone from 1920s that, hey, we will one day go to the moon, they would have thought that, you know, we were witches. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's, it's 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 definitely a really interesting impact that it makes and and i think you know it, it definitely is a double-edged sword sometimes but it's a good way to learn and grow yeah it's something that we've talked about before i know my dad and i have talked about how especially when we intro this podcast is this idea that technology to your point about it being a double-edged sword has the ability to to bring people along but also leave a lot of folks behind right I absolutely love that quote because 
it's really true, right? To your point, it, it, it can enable us to do really good things in the world, but it can also showcase um, a lot of the, the, the ugly, right? That's um, innate, innately part of society and the human experience. And so um, I love that point that you make though about how um, it can really propel us if we put it in the right hands. Um, and, and make it more accessible. And that's something that I'm you know, curious about is um, the accessibility of technology. When we think about um, if, we've to, if we were to pivot into like diversity, equity, inclusion, um, curious to get your thoughts about how we can make technology more accessible um, to more people. Yeah, that's, that's also a really, really great question. I mean, you know, one of the I think accessibility in general is 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 one of the hardest things to get right because we have such a um, difference in the way that we live across all countries, right? Um, one of my science fair projects when I was in high school was actually all about bringing accessibility in the form of electricity to a lot of villages in India, which struggle because in India you only get an hour of electricity every night. Um, dedicated to your village. So you basically have to be by candlelight for most of the night, um, unless you have backup generators and you have a way to capture that electricity throughout the day, which only the very rich do. So um, technology and its accessibility is super, super critical. And, you know, my science fair project was actually about a, a little rack and pinion that you put on a car or on a scooter on your way to work and all the bumps on the road, you capture that and convert it into electricity and then you plug it into your generator at home so that your commute so your commute to work can kind of power your <laughs> your nighttime um stay at home so yeah. you know i think i think the only real way to bring technology to an accessible mass is through a free market system i think right now what ends up happening is um putting satellites in space just so that you can give wi-fi to certain areas costs a lot of money um, bringing um, electricity in the form of, you know, energy saving light bulbs or, um, you know, just electrical wires to be routed to your home. It all costs a lot of money and it costs a lot of money because there are a few key players who own all of the accessibility to even deploy those things like, you know, bringing electricity to, to places that don't really have it, putting a satellite up in space so that you can get Wi-Fi. So the more that we can get to a more of a free market society and where we actually have many smaller companies also providing that as a service, then you end up getting more of a competitive rate, right? And where you don't have to use, um, uh, you don't have to use something like Facebook just to put a satellite up to space. Maybe you use a smaller company that provides a better service at a lower cost and allows smaller countries and smaller um, cities to be able to do that and provide that for their um, city or their town or their village. So I think the free market really makes a big difference. And I think today what's really unfortunate is that a lot of big conglomerates are eating up a lot of the smaller competition so that the bigger conglomerate does not have that competition. And what that ends up doing is making it less accessible for everyone else. Um, and also it also, it reduces the overall entrepreneurship. So. Yeah, I mean, that's a good segue into what you're building, what you're doing at CloudX, right? I mean, you are now a quote unquote smaller player, but like you are providing a product that doesn't currently exist or an offering that doesn't exist and mm -hmm. fulfilling a, a need. So 
want to definitely talk about that journey of building CloudX. Um, what was kind of the why for you in leaving Salesforce to go build CloudX? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, you know, the the biggest reason why, you know, once you get a job at like a top five or a top 10 or a Fortune 100 company, it's like, why would you ever leave? Mm -hmm. um, but what I definitely noticed was that my creativity suffered a lot. Um, mm. I felt like I could not freely think and freely create and freely develop because there were so many other initiatives ahead of me. There were so many people above me. Um, there were so many dependencies that could just couldn't get cleared for me to even, you know, pitch an idea or pitch a product. So I think a lot of creativity suffered when I was at Salesforce and that's kind of why I decided to leave and, and start something new. But at the same time, I really, you know, there, as you know, there's not a lot of female leaders in the space, female CEOs mm -hmm. in the space. So I, I, I just wanted to kind of be that voice or mm -hmm. be part of the solution. Um, yeah. And that's kind of why I left, but what I've definitely learned across the journey is that um, it is very, very, well, it's very hard to be a massive player, um, but it's very easy for a massive player or a massive company to eat up a smaller community and entice them to no longer be a smaller company and to instead join forces. So mm -hmm. it's actually really hard to stay small because you're either going to get eaten up or you're going to get through an acquisition or through, you know, some sort of merger, or you're going to run out of, you know, um, money or stamina because it is a very hard job. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's overall very difficult to be sustainable as a small business. Someday you continue doing the things that you're doing and CloudX is growing the way that you, uh, described. Uh, someday you, you're going to have to have those hard conversations about an acquisition, right? Because you're starting to play in spaces that the larger company is going to say, that's an opportunity. And it's a lot easier to buy it than build it, right? For them. How do you deal with that? Yeah, um, that's definitely a good question. So we've definitely been approached. I think, you know, there is a there is kind of a misnomer in tech that the more funding you get, the more successful you are. And to me, the more funding you get, the more debt you have, the more tied up you are, the more you know owners you have to report into, and that will potentially prevent you from being as creative as you can. So we have tried to get funding. We've been approached by a lot of VCs um, to fund us, but the terms are just very, um, you know, you can see a LinkedIn post that says, hey, I've gotten $200 million in funding, but all of the red tape behind it is actually, um, it, 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 it ends up destroying the whole reason why you started a company. Um, and it ends up evolving into what your investors want it to be. So it's, it's a very difficult balance. Um, and the, you know, when we hopefully eventually do get to that point where we talk about an acquisition, um, I just want the acquiring company to actually value, truly value what we bring to the table and not just crush us because we're competition and require yeah. us because we're competition. So I think that's really what I struggle with. But what I have found is um, to actually have these types of conversations with those acquiring parties or the, or the founders or to follow the journey of the people who would be acquiring you to see if you have a common um, thread of thought, because if 
you do, then it's likely going to be a good home. But if you don't, then it's Mm -hmm. likely going to be detrimental and you're going to end up regretting why you ever even got to that state and wanted to get acquired. So it's definitely hard to think about, but, um, you know, doing the research, I think helps a lot. We're just not even at that stage yet where we're thinking about it, but I'm sure that once we get there, I may be so worn out that it'll be the very first deal that I take, or maybe, you know, we'll be well-timed and well thought out and plan it, um, to the way that it, it actually ends up uh, putting a spotlight on, on everything that we did. Oh, that's that's really good. Very powerful that your mm-hmm. thoughts around the funding and, and raising capital and for those uh, early in their in their stage, right? Uh, other uh, people of color, uh, making sure that they clearly understand that uh, you feel good about the ability to raise that capital and people want to invest, but there's a flip side to that that comes with it, right? I mean, that people are going to give you that money and going to invest, but they want something in return. And you have more people uh, uh, in control of the things that you really want to do. And you really don't really lose your creativity that got you to where you are today. Mm -hmm. That's That's outstanding. Thank you. Yeah, Ruby. Um, To that point, dad, about being a a person of color, a woman of color, tell us about, (laughs) you know, your journey um, leading uh, some of the um, some of these teams within the corporate arena, the startup arena, but now also as a leader of your own company, um, shed some light about some of the challenges that you faced and still are facing today. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, you know, it's been um, it's been actually surprisingly um, positive. I would say so. When I was working at a startup company, I felt like I was getting steamrolled all the time. I felt like, you know, there were a lot of, um, there was a lot of toxic masculinity in pretty much every meeting that I was part of. And I really felt like I didn't have a voice. But then when I left to actually start a consulting company, which primarily half of our business is implementation services. So we interface with other companies and other companies' teams to help them build software and we build the software for them. Um, That part of my business is actually really interesting because my team is actually 95% female and um, 95% female of color. So um, we have a couple of developers who are male and we have other administrators and business analysts and project managers who are all female. And it's, it's actually really nice because um, us as a all female team sit into meetings with a company like Falcon, sit into meetings with a company like FanDuel, sit into meetings with a company like Twitter, and it is all men on the other side. And it's a bunch of females on this side who are helping the men on the other side define what the future of their technology stack is going to look like and what the um, common themes are within the industry that they should look out for and what the pain points are um, that we should try to avoid. And, you know, we're architecting software for them and we're developing the software for them, actually. So it's it's been surprisingly um, positive in where every single one of our clients, no matter how small or big they are, they truly love working with us and they have shown us so much respect, respect that I have never gotten when I was in-house at a, at a startup, wow. but respect that we've gotten as a uh, partner to other companies. So it's been really amazing, actually. 
but it's so good to hear. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I love hearing that, right? I love hearing that you have a team of predominantly women who are driving, uh, to use your words, the future of technology, right? Mm -hmm. That is incredibly powerful. Um, I'm hoping that we'll see more companies like that, um, especially as, as more women um, take on the CEO role, right? And start to build their companies. It's all about being intentional. Um, I would love to know about what that first hire process was like for you and maybe some of the reflections that you had as you were thinking about who you wanted to bring on as your first employee. Yeah. Okay. So it is, um, it is a really tough market for hiring, especially hiring when you're a, a tiny business that nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> um, so, you know, when I was at DoorDash or when I was at Salesforce, hiring was so easy. I had hundreds of applicants to, and candidates to screen and choose from and, um, bring on board. But as CloudX, you know, a tiny company who no one's ever heard of, it was pretty difficult. Um, I did run a lot of LinkedIn ads, um, which are actually extremely helpful, um, for a small business to um, see that many candidates apply and to be able to actually see an ROI for what you're spending on marketing money, it, it, it was really phenomenal. So um, that was really helpful. And my first set of hires actually were through, I do a lot of just um, random LinkedIn searching as well. And I end up messaging a bunch of people who may not have applied. So that's kind of how I found my first cohort. Um, and my first cohort was probably around five or six people last year or, uh, last to last year, sorry. And, um, you know, they were individuals who, who I could see had a lot of really great technical background. were trying to make a transition into software, but didn't really have the right open door and um, with the right opportunity, I could really upskill them and train them and get them ready for a large industry like this. And so that's kind of who I was looking for is, is not people who were extremely um, tenured in their career, but people who were just starting out, but had a lot of really rock solid foundation, computer science degrees, engineering degrees, but brand new to the tech space and brought those individuals on, trained them very heavily for probably about six to eight months with real world projects, you know, brought them into client meetings, brought them into um, our JIRA boards, and they ended up learning a lot. And they ended up, you know, some moved on to larger companies like IBM, um, others stayed with me, and that was awesome. And, you know, it, 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 ends up being great for the industry as a whole, because if I can teach and I can train, um, they will not only be an asset to me later on, but maybe an asset to someone else. And at the end of the day, all that I care about is training the ne next generation of hopefully female leaders to be successful at whatever they end up doing in the future. So it was definitely a hard balance, but you know, it, with a little bit of manual intervention, it worked out. <laughs> I love that so much. Um... You touched upon something that is really powerful is using tools, right? Like LinkedIn ads to to find people, but then you have to go the extra mile, right? When you're looking for a specific kind of person to bring into your company. And I think that's where a lot of big corporations miss the mark. 
they just take advantage of those tools. They don't have true, they're not truly intentional about um, reaching out to people who may not necessarily fit that job description perfectly, but to your point, have a rock solid foundation and are passionate, right? And are coachable and who want to come in and, and learn. And I think that's really powerful, especially when you are intentional about building a diverse workforce. So thank you for sharing the insight there. Um, kind of sticking on the on the topic of um, inclusion, equity, and diversity, I want to read something that you wrote on Twitter last year that I found to be incredibly inspiring. Um, you wrote during um, the time when, you know, Black Lives Matter, um, social injustice had, was, had come to a head and we were having these real conversations, right, in, in the workplace. Um, you wrote something that was really powerful. You said, we have to build corporate social responsibility for communities of color um, into the framework of every company in America, no matter your size. And then CloudX actually donated $20,000 to the Equal Justice Initiative and Know Your Rights Camp. I mean, that is incredible. A company of your size, to the point that you made in that quote, doesn't matter how big or small you are. We all can do something, right? We all can play a role. So can you speak a little bit about um, you know, that time and, and the conversations you're having and, and how you came to, to, to make this um, donation at that time? Yeah, um, you know, that was an extremely emotionally, politically charged time. And it happened right at the very beginning of lockdown. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it was extremely, extremely disheartening to see that that was still happening in America. And, um, you know, I, I, I know that we can do better. And I'm glad that we're on the path to holding each other more accountable. Um, and, you know, it, it, it definitely brought to light that entire movement brought to light even some of mine and my family's, um, you know, uh, the discrimination that we also faced when we came here. And it's it's prevalent in, in pretty much every American city. And, you know, it, it is getting better. But at the same time, sometimes we we feel like we have to hold other people accountable to make the change, but really it should start with us, mm -hmm. no matter what color we are, you know, mm -hmm. even as an Indian woman, I should also be more receptive to potentially some of the struggles that, um, you know, uh, a straight or a, a gay white man may face. Right. Sure. And that also mm -hmm. makes a big difference. So, Absolutely. um, I think it all starts with us and we have to always hope that we can find a higher power to believe in and to um, center ourselves around and orient ourselves around. And so for me, it was, it, you know, it felt like it was a perfect time to bring that corporate social responsibility to our company and to even mm -hmm. make my employees feel like every client project that we do, we're going to donate. What we do actually now is we do a 2% match. So we put 1% of the client's statement of work um, towards a uh, initiative that we care about. And then we ask, uh, we also give 1% based off of what the client, um, which initiatives the client believes mostly in and what, what um, initiatives the client actually um, feels strongly about. We ask mm -hmm. them to pick and choose whichever charity that they want of their choice um, or a project of their choice. And then we give 1% of the statement of work towards that charity of choice. And, you know, it's such a small thing to do, 
it ends up like it doesn't really impact that much of your profitability and it doesn't impact that much of your um, bottom line. But what it does impact is your employees' sense of the why they are working for you. Mm. Um, and that I think has been super powerful is that um, when I do kind of talk about that initiative, um, employees are more um, willing to finish the project to the best of their ability to feel like they are contributing to something higher than them. I think that that makes a really big difference. And, you know, we shouldn't just leave it to the big five. We shouldn't just leave it to, you know, Elon Musk saying that he's going to take $6 billion out of his stock, right. To like solve world <laughs> hunger. We should right. really start with whatever we can. Um, Absolutely. And I think a lot of people banded towards, you know, donating where it matters um, during that movement. So it was really powerful. That's so incredible, Ruby. Um, I, I just love the fact that you're tying it back to um, that, that human connection, right? Really understanding, um, connecting yourself to the work that you're doing, right? It's easy to get kind of wrapped up in, I feel like I need to do this because this is what I've been told to do, or this is what my client wants, but it brings the client into the conversation as well. So everyone is, feels, um, you know, accountable for, for making the change that they want to see in the world. And I think that more companies should be doing what you're doing. So I'm, I'm hoping that when we share this, we can get some people to think a bit differently about how they're running their organizations, because it really does, it really can make a difference when you donate what you can, right? And I'm sure, you know, as you scale and as you grow, that impact's going to get even bigger, right? When you think about the statement of work, right? It's going to get even bigger as, as you grow. So that's just such a beautiful thing. Thank you for sharing and thank you for um, just having such a, a beautiful heart. Um, okay, so I think that we should transition into our kind of last questions for you, um, but these are questions that we ask that is meant to kind of dive a little bit deeper into who Ruby is, um, the core of Ruby. So would love for us to dive into that section and perhaps dad, you can kick us off with uh, one of your favorite questions. Sure, sure, Ruby. Um, from this question, you'll, I guess you'll learn a little bit more about me and, and my why and who I am and uh, what has formed, you know, the, the gentleman that you're speaking to here on the podcast. Uh, I, I always look back to our foundation and who we are in those critical moments in our lives uh, that made a difference. And the way that I do that is I think about who my favorite teacher was at, at any grade level. What I'd like to know from you is, who's your favorite teacher? Wow. Okay. Well, that is, that, that's, yeah, that's a, a very loaded question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we get all kinds of responses too, right? I mean, yeah, we have, an academic have, teacher, it could be a mentor. So, you know, you could take it, it, it any direction anything. you want to take it. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's really about that, that individual individuals that really molded you and and created that path that got you to where you are today and and will continue on in the future yeah um no that's that that is a very good question i mean i i have so many people who have really inspired me throughout you know my existence um obviously my parents um my grandparents um and a lot of teachers here that really helped me become who I was because obviously as 
um, you know, an immigrant, it's, it's actually very hard to make friends <laughs> when you're brand new. Um, you have an accent, you know, you, you definitely don't do or um, uh, have the same interests as people who had grown up here and who have generations of parents who have grown up here. Um, you're, you don't have the same common interests. So a lot of times I actually would hang around and hang out with my teachers more. So, um, it, you know, I think uh, whether it was my English teacher from high school who, you know, taught us, or AP Britlet teacher who taught us um, like the Canterbury Tales and, you know, um, beautiful poems from all, all across the world. Um, or my chemistry teachers um, who really kind of inspired like the ability to experiment. Um, I had biology teachers who, you know, really showed me how to look at different animals and different creatures in a totally different way through dissections and, you know, see what the commonalities between humans and animals really are um, and where we came from. Um, I had so many teachers, obviously, in the workplace as well, who really taught me how to be a manager and to be a leader and um, how to build product and how to do software development. So there are so many different teachers that I can point to, um, but then also, you know, mentors within um, books that I've read, um, and it's 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 very hard to answer that question because I, I'm not sure if there was one particular moment, um, because you know I've I've just I learn I love to learn and so for me it's it's across all my years I've learned so much through so many different individuals and it's really brought me into becoming a diverse individual. Um, so yeah, it's very hard for me to answer that question. That's good. No, no, you did, you did. That was that fantastic so answer. Yes, <laughs> fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely can connect to that, Ruby, because as a lifetime learner and someone who just enjoys taking in a podcast or a book or a webinar, now like it's become so um accessible right to to access knowledge right you don't have to necessarily go get your phd although it's incredible that you have a phd it's really admirable you can you can learn a lot from just going online and i think that also connects back to your earlier point about um, technology being more accessible right so the more accessible we can make technology the more we can democratize information so people can can learn and grow and develop new skills so I love, I love that answer. That kind of nicely transitions, I think, into our next question, which is about what are you currently listening to or reading? Yes. Okay. So, um, well, what I'm currently listening to is Corinthians podcast. Everyone should listen to every episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, in terms of what I'm reading, I am actually doing a lot of psychology um, oriented books. So I'm wow. reading yeah, I'm reading actually um, Carl Jung's Man and His Symbols. Um, I'm reading a lot of Clarissa Pinkle and Estes um, books on um, untying the strong women and um, women who run with the wolves. It, actually, my husband got that for me on my 30th birthday and I have reread re it every year since then. Um, I also, every year, I love to read Portrait of Dorian Gray. Um, Oscar Wilde just has such an amazing way with words um and yeah those are kind of the big books that I'm reading right now or rereading I you know I try to do a lot of uh tech books or techie books um 
And after a while, I just kind of wanted to go back to just what the human instincts were, um, because I think tech books can become a little bit too managerial and too business oriented. I just wanted to like understand the human psyche a little more. So I'm reading a lot of books on just the human psyche in general. Um, and yeah, those are, those are, those are my main reads right now. I love that so much. It makes a ton of sense based on our our talk about the human connection and just your affinity to understand why people behave the way they do and connecting it to technology. Um, so that makes total sense. I definitely need to um, add these books to my list and we'll definitely communicate and let our audience know about these books as well. That's an incredible list of books to, to dive into. Um, our final question for you today, Ruby, is one of my favorite questions. Um, so you're going to have to close your eyes for this, I think, just so you can imagine. But, you know, imagine that you are on a beach right now. Doesn't matter where in the world, just think of like your favorite beach that you've been to, or maybe beach that you're looking forward to visiting at some point in the future. <laughs> but this is a distant, you know, in the distant future, you're on this beach, you're relaxing, you're reflecting on your life. Tell me about you know, what would you be proud of? You know, what would you want your your legacy and your impact to be? Mm. Very good question. Um, you know, the one the one thing that I've always really loved doing is teaching. So mm. I think that would be the biggest legacy to leave is that I somehow impacted or taught someone to be a stronger leader, mentor, software developer, product manager, whatever have it be, but that I, 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 I taught someone something. Um, I think it's really hard to feel that purpose until you have kids, because obviously with kids, it's natural to teach, but when you don't have kids, that, that yearn to teach and that yearn to um, make an impact through the form of knowledge transfer is, is something that, you know, I'm hoping that I'm doing today and hope to continue doing. I think Asia, that, that, that aligns <laughs> perfectly with your statement earlier, Ruby, with training the next generation of female leaders. Yeah, yeah. And then you can look back and what those leaders are doing and who they're training and passing that knowledge on. Uh, great. Right. Great. Yeah, that's incredible. And I think also what I love about that thought is when you start to, to teach, you start to notice like the gaps in your own knowledge, right? And maybe um, the gaps in the way that you're like communicating those thoughts. It, it's also a moment to be introspective, to figure out how to better communicate to, to people depending on where you're at, um, depending on where they're at in their learning journey. So I think it also kind of when you become a teacher, you also learn a lot about yourself. I know that's something that that's I so hear true. oftentimes from parents. They say, I learned a lot about myself when I became a parent, right? Because you start to <laughs> what you've been teaching your kids, right? And you're like, oh, actually, you know, I this is how I probably should have done that a little bit differently, right? Or, you know, I may want to change true. up the way I communicate that that thing that I've been telling my, my child. So the same thing in, in a work environment, but I, I love that. Um, I love that answer. So yeah. thank you so much Ruby I, I think of course <laughs> I think Asia was just calling me out I think so too <laughs> <laughs> not 
that you, baby mom. I think I think I've had this conversation with mom a lot, right? It's like okay, you you better cut that out of the podcast. Right? <laughs> no, I think a lot of folks can connect to that as a parent, as a father, as oh, a mother. Hundred percent, absolutely. So. Thank you so much, Ruby, for coming on to the Core Intentions podcast. I loved learning more about you um, as a dear friend, but also now learning more about you on a professional level and on a deeper personal level. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us and with our audience. And we definitely look forward to following your journey and, and bring you back on the podcast at some point in the future to see what you're up to. So thank you much for, the, for your time today. Thank you both. This was so beautifully done, beautifully thought out. And um, it's really wonderful to see you guys excelling with this project that was started in the times of, you know, one of some of the worst times in, in our generation. Um, mm -hmm. And to see something that you created that was just so beautiful is really impactful. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to see your journey as well. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much, you. Ruby. Pleasure meeting you. Yeah, All same. Right. Thank you.